We are in a series going through the book of Exodus, and actually, this is next weekend is the last week. And so I'm pretty proud of us. We're going through a long book of the Bible in less than a year. That's an accomplishment. Um, but we're only doing it because we're kind of flying over 12 chapters so uh, <clears throat> of details. Now, to uh, get us where we're going here today, I, I just want to tell you a quick story to set up what we're talking about. Uh, my parents, we moved us, um, I was like seven, I think, first, second grade. Uh, they moved us out to San Diego, and um, they were going to grad school at the time, and we were dirt poor, um, starving college students, right, with kids. And so um, we lived in this, they rented this little like basement apartment, didn't even have a kitchen, had this little hot plate in it, and one shower, you know, I still remember that uh, from being a kid. And we, you know, didn't have a lot, but it was an amazing time. I, I still think of that time a couple of years out there in San Diego with a lot of uh, fondness in my heart. But during that time, they made these friends with some, this young couple that had just immigrated over from Greece. Their names are Apostolos and Ismini. And this family cooked us the best Greek food. They made us amazing Greek food. Anybody like Greek food? Like spanakopita, souvlaki, um, and the best, of course, baklava, right? And so you could tell it's made an impression on me even all these years later, right? And these people were just, they're such great people. And I remember um, during this time, they had, this was when scooters were just coming out, like the kind you stand on, you know, with one, not like the one I just got off of because of my broken ankle, you know, that I had to scoot. This was like legit cool scooters. And I remember my brother and I wanted a scooter so bad. I mean, just we really wanted a scooter, but there was no way my parents could afford it, right? And so we didn't think we were going to get a scooter. Well, this family, and they weren't wealthy or anything, but this family, I remember a few weeks before Christmas, we went over to their house, and out of the blue, they surprised us with two brand new scooters. And it was like, whoa, it was so generous, so amazing, and they're just, they're, they're just generous people like that, right? It blessed us in, in such a huge way. It still like moves me all these years later. And what's crazy is this summer, um, I hadn't seen these people in years and years. This summer, they came through to say hi to my parents. They came through. We saw them up in the mountains. And e even all these years later, they asked my parents how old my kids were. I mean, my kids are like a little older than we were back then. And so they brought my son this chemistry set, and they brought my daughter this really sweet dress, this cute dress. And so, I mean, they just like have generous hearts. And honestly, it's inspiring to me to see people with that kind of genera generosity. I mean, we're inspired by people like that, right? But oftentimes, many times, if we're honest, when we look at our own hearts and lives, we, we don't see the same kind of generous spirit. Many times we're actually too busy or too preoccupied to be generous with our time or with our gifts and abilities. In fact, maybe this year with all the uncertainty about your future, your response has actually been to cling more tightly to what you have. And see, actually, sometimes it's times of crisis that have a way of revealing what's in our hearts. Now, as we dive into this passage in, in Exodus, where we're heading today, let me just say, um, as you're, should we talk about generosity? You're like, uh-oh, we're, we're in church. Uh-oh. Talking about generosity. You can just relax. 
You can relax. If you're new around here, I'm not asking anything from you. And if this topic makes you nervous, you can relax because we're not taking a special offering at the end of service or launching some kind of campaign, okay? So just relax. But here's the thing. This is, this is where our passage of Scripture takes us this week. And because generosity is such a significant theme in Scripture, I want to give all of us who are followers of Jesus here a chance to hold the mirror of Scripture up to our hearts when it comes to our relationship with our time and our talents and our treasure. And today I think what we're going to discover is that what God is most interested in when it comes to these things is actually the condition of our hearts. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn on over to Exodus chapter 35. And we're going to start in just a minute in verse 4, but I want to set it up real quick and just remind you where we're at. In, in this story. Now, we skipped a week last week and, and addressed um, some topics when it came to our nation, and I just want to encourage you to keep being in continued fervent prayer for our nation during this time. Um, but we skipped a week. The week before that, Jason did an amazing job of taking seven chapters of Scripture and a lot of crazy details when it related to the tabernacle and the ark and the priestly garments and all these things and giving us like a really good tour of all that and how that applies to our lives. So if you missed that, Jason went over chapters 25 through 31 two weeks ago. And now today what we're going to do is we're going over Exodus chapter 35 through 39. So in 25 through 31, God gives, them, gives Moses the pattern for basically the whole the, the tabernacle, which is the place where God's presence will dwell in their midst in a very special way. And now in chapters 35 through 39, they dive in, and this is when the, the, the plan is set in motion to build and to make all these things according to the pattern that God gave Moses. And so that all gets started here. In Exodus chapter 35, verse 4, it says this. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. Now, I just want to time out. I've just got a freebie for you here that's not in the exact flow of the message, but I think it's so important. From what you have from what you have. And any time, almost any time, God accomplishes something significant through our lives, it starts with us offering what we have to him. What we have when it comes to our time, our talents, our treasure. And you know, what we have is almost never enough to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And yet, God can do some amazing things when we offer what we have. Think of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Little boys, lunch. And so that's just a freebie. Tuck that away in your heart and mind. Maybe somebody needs to hear that in the room. But notice, those who are willing, this is free will here. This isn't like you you need to do this, you have to do this. This is, man, if your heart moves you, if you're willing, we're going to take an offering of all these things so that we can build the tabernacle. Verse 6, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skin dyed red, and other types of durable leather, acacia wood, Guitars and amplifiers. Um, oh, wait. That's not in there. That's on my offering wish list for church. Not, uh, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense in onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. These are the, the priestly garments. 
All this bling. Bring it all. Bring it all. We're going to build, do something amazing with it. Verse 10. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases. The ark with its poles. Did anybody do your homework and watch Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. We have two people in the room. Good job. I'll have a gold star for you afterwards. You can come get it. It was funny because my son comes up, you know, like, all right, if you're in the 80s, you know some PG movies in the 80s were like pushing PG-13 plus like now, right? And so uh, I couldn't remember. It had been a long time since I watched it. So he was trying to say, I want to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I can't remember if there's stuff in there. And uh, so he, he actually, and then, the, you know, there's that one cool like scene. Yeah, at the very end of it. And so he's like, well, he's like, here, Dad, sit down. And so he turns on, because he watches all the Star Wars. He turns on the very last Star Wars and, and rewinds this scene for me like two or three times of the Emperor's face melting off. And then he's like, see, Dad, it's okay. I go watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> like, I don't know. I guess you have a point there, right? Uh, anyway, so the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, um, Lost my place in a story. Go, go figure, right? The ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it. So all these things, right? And then he goes on over the next few verses to describe all the other things according to the pattern that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. And verse 21, here's their response. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of on the tent of meeting, for its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. And as the chapter goes on, and we're not going to read all of it, what you see is this just incredible outpouring of generosity. This just incredible, like their hearts are moved and incredibly they bring all this wealth and all this treasure to construct the tabernacle. Now, the placement of this in the flow of the book of Exodus is so significant. And I just want to pause and talk about that. Because if you remember like in the flow of the series here, I know we took two weeks sort of with a week separating it, but in a row to talk about the tabernacle and these things, right? But in the flow of Exodus, actually, you have the pattern in, cha- in the earlier chapters. And then after that, you have um, basically what happens during that time is as Moses is up on the mountain. Um, remember, God has saved them, delivered them, rescued them. He's brought them out through the Red Sea and to Mount Sinai. And then he's given them the Ten Commandments, which start with, have no other gods before me, right? I want to be your one and only God because I am the only God. And I want you to be free. And the only way you can be free is by serving what is real and true and worth, worthy of worshiping, right? And so he gives them the Ten Commandments and then what was called the Book of the Covenant, which are the case law and the, the way the society would be structured because this people is a slave people. They don't have any laws or, or, or rules, right? They don't have anything to build a, a, a society on. And so then God, in this covenant ceremony, he's entering into covenant with his people. Promises are made. And in this incredible, God comes down and meets with them in this amazing way, right? 
And the people say, we will keep the covenant. We're in with all of our hearts. We're in. We'll serve God alone. We'll do all of this that God says. And then Moses goes up on the mountain to get the pattern for the tabernacle. And during that time he's on the mountain, something tragic happens. The people get scared and they abandon the one true God and they fall into idolatry. And and the way that the author of the book of Exodus presents it is like this is the worst thing you can imagine. This is like somebody cheating and abandoning their wedding vows the day after the wedding. I mean, it's just tragic. It's tragic to the point that they risk God, um, his presence not going with them anymore. God's heart is broken. God is ticked off. And then Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. And what you see is this incredible picture of God saying he forgives them. His grace, there's discipline, but yes, there's, there's overwhelming grace and forgiveness. Overwhelming forgiveness and grace over this people as he welcomes them back, as he takes them back as his people. As he renews the covenant in chapter 34, the, the chapter right before this, you can go back and read that or go back and listen to that talk from a few weeks ago. And so what is so important to, to note about this is what we see here what we see here demonstrated is a heart of gratitude towards God. An incredible heart of gratitude. And, and that heart of gratitude towards God, who's been so good to them, so gracious to them, overflows now with incredible generosity. So the generosity you're seeing is a response to the fact that they've been graciously forgiven by God, that he's done so much for them. And when it comes to our relationship with our time, with our talents, with our treasure, our generosity or lack thereof actually reveals something about the condition of our hearts. And here it reveals they have a heart of gratitude that recognizes all God's done for them and the incredible grace they've been shown. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus talks about our stuff and our relationship to our stuff all the time in the Gospels. It's hard to miss if you've read through, you know, the first four books in the New Testament. In the words of Jesus, he he talks about our relationship with our stuff all the time. And there's this incredible principle. It's called the treasure principle. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus encourages, he, he instructs us to store up treasure in heaven, to be thinking about his kingdom, to be thinking about um, what comes after this life. Because otherwise, if all you're thinking about is this life, your treasure is in this life, that's where your heart is. That's where your heart is, right? And there's also a cool thing around this. Um, I coined it, but I probably, I'm sure somebody else thought of it before I did, called the reverse treasure principle, which is where do you want your heart to be? It's a good question to ask. And then where are you investing in your treasure? Where's your treasure? Where do you want to invest, right? Invest where you want your heart to be. I call that the reverse treasure principle. So I just want to take a moment before we continue in Exodus. And I want to talk about the the why behind generosity and the how behind generosity. Because if you've ever read through the scriptures, generosity is a theme that is talked about over and over in our lives. And generosity isn't just 
something that's our finances, although, you know, our treasure, our stuff, that's a big part of it, right? But it's also our time and our talents, and we'll get to that in a minute, but I want to pause and talk about our relationship with our treasure because that's where the Scripture starts here today. And the first thing is to understand that a generous heart flows from understanding several things. That if, you don't, if you're not experiencing a heart of generosity, it's probably because you don't have a firm grasp or these things aren't front and center in your life. And that, the first thing is this. A generous heart flows from understanding God has been incredibly generous to us. Just like the people here recognize, God has graciously forgiven them. I mean, he just pours out his mercy on them, right? So, the same way, you and I, we've been forgiven, we've been rescued, we've been saved, we've been delivered. In fact, God says, well, well we were still enemies. Christ tied for us. We're like, I don't know about enemies. Yeah, well, that's what God says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have missed the mark, Right? This is at the heart of the gospel. But Paul in Romans, he said, but an amazing thing happened. Where sin increased, grace abounded even more. Sin went way up. Like, you want to know where sin went way up with the people of Israel? As they abandoned God and went into this detestable idolatry? And wherever you're at, if you had you know, the thinking that I can't walk through the doors of a church, the roof might fall down, Wherever you're at, whatever you've done, it is not beyond the grace of God. It is not beyond being able to turn back to God and turn your life to him and receive his forgiveness and receive his hope and his joy and receive eternal life and commit your life in following him. Today is a brand new day. His mercies are new every morning. Where sin abounded, grace abounds even more. And a generous heart flows from understanding that God has been incredibly generous to us. The second thing, a generous heart flows from understanding God owns everything and every good thing comes from him. We call this a big fancy word in Christian language. We call this the principle of stewardship. And that is the understanding, you know, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What we understand is that it all belongs to God. He created it all. It all belongs to him. He just entrusts us with it. And I think this is something they understood in a very profound way because just a few months before this, they were enslaved and had nothing. But God, as God rescued and delivered him, it specifically said he moved on the heart of the Egyptians. So they loaded him up as they left with all this bling. They had, you know, the wristbands and earrings and nose rings. And I don't know, I don't think they did eyebrow rings and stuff back then, but they had all this stuff, right? All this gold, and they loaded them up with all the bling, right? And it wasn't because of something. It was because God moved and put favor in the hearts of the Egyptians towards his people. And so they left as, you know, the day before, poor slaves with nothing, they left loaded up with all this stuff, all this treasure. And so they recognized, wow, this wasn't ours before. And instead, you know what? Normally when we have nothing and then we get a little bit of something, our tendency is to hold on to it very tightly, right? But what shows you that their heart was responding to the generosity of God in this moment, and their heart was responding, um, understanding what they've been given, that God owned it all, that they've been blessed, that every good thing comes from him. They give freely. And I think that's a profound thing that shows their heart was responding to the grace and the mercy of God, right? And so you see them be very open-handed instead of clinging tightly. 
And the truth in Scripture is God owns it all. We manage it. Whatever you've been given, it's just a blessing. Ultimately, um, you can't take it with you, right? You can leave it for your kids, but chances are a few generations down, somebody's going to be an idiot and probably blow it and lose it, right? You can't take it with you. It all belongs to him. He just allows us to manage it on his behalf for his purposes. For his purposes. And when you say, yeah, but I worked so hard for it. Yeah, that's true. But I bet if you're honest, there's a lot of people who've worked harder than you that have way less than you. How many of you have had one of those moments where you look back and you realize there was a moment in time, there was a contract, there was a deal, there was a, somebody that made an introduction and you didn't see it coming, but you are light years ahead of where you would have been otherwise. Uh, let's just show of hands. How many of you have had something like that in your life where you go, wow, that was God? You're shy today. We had a lot more. Okay. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, as they're thinking. Haven't had enough coffee. It's a little slow on the uptake. Right? Yeah. Lots of us have had those kind of moments where we look back. Who set that up? God did. Right? God did. In fact, a little bit later, in one of the next books that comes up, as God speaks to these people, he goes, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take you into the land, and, and you're going to live in houses you didn't build and eat from vineyards you didn't plant. You're going to be so incredibly blessed. But the danger is when you are incredibly blessed that you forget who did this all for you, that you start thinking and your heart shifts to the thing of going, well, I did it. I worked hard. I'm just that smart. I'm just that good. And God goes, no, no, no. Remember, it was me. Don't say in your heart, it was my hand that did this. Remember, God set it up. God's the one who gave you those gifts, those talents, those abilities, that mind that he gave you that just sees things like quicker and in different areas than other people, and that allowed you to, to excel. Those skills you had in a trade where other people are like, how do you do that? And you're like, I don't know, just easy, right? That ability in school, that got you to the place that you're at today? God gave that all to you. And a heart, a generous heart, flows from understanding that God owns everything and every good thing comes from Him. And then it flows from this. And this is so important. We say this all the time around here because it's, I think, such an important thing for us to remember. It flows from understanding that life is for you, not about you. That it's about His kingdom. It's about the people He's put around you in your circle of responsibility, ultimately. And if this gets out of whack, pretty soon it becomes all about you and a generous heart goes bye-bye, right? In fact, Paul, um, when he's talking about the motivation behind hard work in Ephesians 4, 28, he says this, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands. Why? That he may have something to share with those in need. In other words, get up, stop being lazy, quit cheating others, work hard. So you have something to share. That's, that's the principle in Scripture, right? And why? Because it's not all about you. There's a bigger thing going on here, right? So that's the way, the, the, that is the why behind generosity. That is the why behind generosity. Now I want to talk a little bit about the how behind generosity when it comes to our treasure. And that's this, a generous heart expresses itself several different ways. There's several ways that a generous heart works itself out when it comes to actually walking this out in our lives 
as followers of Jesus. The first one is this. A generous heart expresses itself joyfully. Joyfully. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9.6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Listen, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you, if you are giving out of manipulation or out of guilt, that's the wrong motivation. And, and let me just say, to, to the best of our ability, we will not ever manipulate you around here, right? If, if, if that is why you're giving, in fact, God says, I love a cheerful giver. There's, it should be a joy. It's a joy. How many of you have ever, you know, if you're a kid, you remember you got that gift that you really wanted at Christmas, and then by the, you know, the day after Christmas, that post-Christmas kind of disappointment sets in, and you realize it didn't give you the great joy in your heart that you thought it would. But you know who still is experiencing the joy of it? Grandma. The gay, just to see the way your face lit up. And we all know this, right? It's more, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? We all know this. There's a joy in that. There's a joy in that. In fact, you see an outflow of this in the early church in Acts chapter 4, as people, um, as there were needs and thousands of people were coming in and whole families and, you know, neighborhoods accepting Jesus. And it was this incredible moment. And people, as a need came up with great joy, people would sell a property or something and just provide for the needs. There's like a hilarious joy in giving. And that's the way it's meant to be expressed, right? So a generous heart expresses itself joyfully. And then a generous heart expresses itself strategically. Strategically. This is disciplined generosity or planned giving. Most people um, don't. There's this old saying, right? If you, if you don't plan, I can't think of it. Something like if you don't plan to, if you fail to plan, you, you plan to fail. There you go. That's it. That's the same. And discipline giving says, I want to invest in God's kingdom in a strategic and a disciplined way. Let me give you three words to sort of set this up. And I think, especially if you're a parent, listen up to this right now. Give, save, live. Everybody say that with me. Give, save, live. That's strategic giving. By default, most of us do the exact opposite, which is we live, and by the time we're done, there ain't much left for saving or giving. And this is one of the keys, um, if, if you've not done Dave Ramsey, such a valuable course to take. In fact, if you're struggling or, or if you're in debt and this whole topic feels like a heavy weight to you because you hear this and you're like, you don't know where I'm at, I understand, or maybe this year's been really rough, we'd love to help you. Fill out a blue card, get in touch with us. We'll connect you with somebody that can help walk you through and make a plan to get out of debt. We'll, we'll help you get into a Dave Ramsey course and, and learn some of these principles and some of these tools to get you on track, okay? We want to help you. We want to be here for you as a church. But give, save, live. Especially, this is such a valuable thing to teach as a kid. That you plan, you set aside a percentage and say, I'm going to give this every time income comes in. Um, the, the term in church we often use for that is tithing, which literally means a tenth. This is something I've been doing since I was a, a young child. My parents taught me this, and I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful. 
If you want to make it real easy, think of it this way. Like when your kid's young, if you teach them this, this will stick and this will be part of their, their, their life. Every time a dollar bill comes in, you have a jar and a dime goes in a giving jar and a dime goes in a savings jar and then the 80 cents, they can go blow on that giant lollipop. Or not, right? Or you're a weird parent like me that tries to limit their children's sugar consumption. So you're like, no, you don't get that. Save it for your Lego set, right? Give, save, live. You know what? If your kid grows up doing that, they're going to have a habit of understanding that I don't have to consume everything that comes into my life. But life is more than just about me. I'm, I'm meant to be wise and plan for my future. And guess what? God's fine with me having some enjoying life and enjoying the rest, right? It's a, it's a really important thing, giving strategically. Part of that is strategically, regularly supporting uh, the body of believers, the local church with which you're part of, right? Galatians 6, Paul says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. There's an obligation. There's a, 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 uh, we're called to support those that disciple us and encourage our kids and teach us the way of, in the way of Jesus and reach our community, right? Now, I'm not saying this as a guilt trip. In fact, I'm not asking you for anything today, okay? I'm not saying this as a guilt trip. Let me just say, you, you are surrounded by some of the most um, generous, strategic people I know. You guys are an incredible, incredible congregation. Um, through your generosity, we have been able to see kids and youth discipled and meet Jesus, to, to baptize people, to continue reaching people in our community. We have kids all over this place, youth all over this place, right? We see people taking next steps and following Jesus. We've been able to do some incredible things uh, like plant churches in Myanmar. In fact, just as a quick update, we just recently were able to send several thousand dollars over to support some of those church planners because COVID's been hard for us. Um, it's been devastating for some of those people in Myanmar. And so these church planners have been not only able to feed their own families, they've been able to take that into their villages and feed those that are literally on the brink of starvation. It's through your generosity. We, we sent money to Zimbabwe to do the exact same thing. For people. We've been able to support Homes of Hope here just recently. That's another ministry that we've partnered with for years that's struggling right now in this season, right? We've built houses in Mexico over the years. We support local organizations like Young Life and others that are doing great work here locally, right? And by God's grace and your continued generosity, man, we're just getting started. We're just getting started, right? through your generosity and the fact that uh, we run really lean and frugal around here. We try to get as much, um, squeeze as much out of every dollar you give. Nobody's getting rich around here because it's for the kingdom. It's for his purposes, right? But we were able to purchase this facility and, and do our build out last year, right? We've been able to keep the lights on, pay the mortgage. It's not flashy, but it's necessary. It's people's strategic giving that makes all that possible. And so, generous heart expresses itself joyfully and strategically. And then also, secretly. And this is one of the most fun of all of them. Jesus says at one point, hey, don't let your one hand know what your other hand is doing. In other words, when you give, don't give as a show, you know, that don't make it a flashy thing so that you get the notoriety of it. 
It's, it's for God. He sees. He'll repay you. Right? And this is such, so, so much fun. Um, a, a couple of years back, I got to sort of be the middleman on a really cool thing. We had a family going on missions, and it was a whole lot for them. And the moment after they committed and told their kids, we're going to do this in faith, not knowing how they were going to do it, the mom said, okay, we're going to do it. Like that same day, I think it was, somebody approached me and goes, hey, um, we know so-and-so are going on a missions trip. Um, can, can we help? And gave a significant, significant amount. Bless them. They still have no clue who it was. Bless the people they gave. Blessed me. So much fun, right? And that's when you see a need, a need, and you have the ability to meet it, and you just do it. You just do it. So it's sac- secretly. And then the last one is this, sacrificially. Sacrificially. Listen to this scripture in 2 Corinthians. And, and as a follower of Jesus, this is like, um, honestly, we have it so easy in this country. I think we lose sight of this sometimes. Listen. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Listen to this. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Isn't that like, what? Overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up? What are you talking about, Paul? We barely even have a box for that in our minds, right? For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Isn't that powerful? And there are those moments where we give sacrificially, where it actually feels like more than, than, it actually hurts a little bit. That's where the joyful part of it comes in. And Paul says that's exactly what happened in that. So these people were generous with their treasure because their hearts were moved and overflowed from the great grace they'd been given. And they were generous with their time and talents. Verse 25. Here's what happens next. After this incredible outpouring of generosity, it says this in verse 25. Every skilled woman spun with their hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn and fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur. I I know Hur. Not really. That was bad, sorry. Uh, The son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for the work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of of artistic crafts. God did this. God poured these skills out. Like, dude has skills, right? And it's from God. It's from God. He gives him these giftings, these abilities. Verse 34, And he has given both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. Teaching, a special ability, a special gift, and skill. He has filled them with a skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. And so at this point, the people 
overwhelmingly respond and say, we're going to come and we're not just going to be generous with our, with our, our treasure. We're going to be generous with our hands. We're going to be generous with our work, with the skills God has given us. We're going to use them with joy. And so the women that are trained and skilled weave this like incredible fabric that the tabernacle will be made of. And then everybody who's skilled come in, uses their gifts and skills to actually make the thing, to build it. In the next four chapters, you see this word over and over and over. And we're going to fly over these chapters. But it's, it's they made this. And, you know, here's the pattern. And they made it. And they made it. And they made it. Lots and lots of details. If you go and read it, you can do that at home. Lots of details of what they made from the pattern of the tabernacle and the ark and the priestly garments. And the point is that, that the people gave their time and worked by the skill and the talent that God had given them. And this is something Jesus says, hey, you seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. That's a kingdom-focused heart, a kingdom-focused life. And here's the truth. A kingdom-focused life is generous with time and talents. There's a generosity of time. That's paying attention to others. I think sometimes we miss this because we're just in such a busy culture and we're so individualistic and we have so, all of us have so much on our plates, right? Generosity of time is paying attention to others, paying attention to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to maybe to your waiter and actually taking a moment to pause and engage with them as people that God loves and God wants to reach with his love, Right? It's slowing, enough to get down, slowing down enough to get into somebody else's world. Maybe that means getting coffee or, or buying lunch for somebody and just connecting, finding out where they're at. Maybe it's offering babysitting so somebody can have a date night, right? It's the generosity of, of time. It's taking the time to engage. And I think generosity of time is one of the biggest keys to reaching others with the gospel. When it comes to your circle, just being generous with your time so that you actually have the ability to engage with others and connect with others. It's a huge step, right? So you have generosity of time, you have generosity of talents. And Paul says this in Romans 12, for just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. How many want to be the gallbladder, right? They're all important, right? So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. You know what? We all have different giftings. We all have different skills. And the point is, you're to use whatever skill, whatever gifting, spiritually, whatever innate ability, maybe the ability to teach the ability to do something really cool, that thing you do, and other people are like, how do you do that? And you're like, I don't know, right? God wants you to use that for the furtherance of his kingdom and for the blessing of other people. And that may be like blessing them literally through your business, right? Or it may mean just serving, like as, as we built out this building, we had so many people come out. Some of you, your skill was running a mop, and you diligently ran it every Friday. And it was awesome. We needed it, right? I was one of those. And then we had some amazing contractors and electricians come in and use this skill. All that beautiful tile work was donated by someone using their skill. Right? We have people that bless this church through their company just by giving us, um, doing like bookkeeping kind of stuff. 
running payroll, things like that. Using your skills. How can you use your skills to bless other people with a generous heart? How can you use them to bless other people, right? We have people who serve and teach kids and lead small groups and mow the lawn and run cameras and play drums and sing. Just serving, using their gifts, using their talents. Jesus said, whatever you do, or Paul said, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. It's all for him. It's all for him. And so I want to just grab a couple verses from chapter 36 to close out. Here is the the great overflow of, of this generosity, both of time and of their talents. Listen to this. Exodus 36, 2. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given the ability and who was willing to come to do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. Their hearts were moved. They just kept pouring it out. So, verse 4, all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent his word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had was more than enough to do all the work. Isn't that powerful? Wow. That's, that's when a heart has really been moved. They bring more than enough. That's like, you know, every pastor's dream, having to get up, stop, right? That's Moses. Now let me close with this. I want to read you something from Caesar Hadrian about the church, in the early church, and the way the early church functioned. What made them special and unique. And let me just say, if you're skeptical about this whole Jesus thing, God, church, the Bible, you know, I want you to listen up to this, and I want you to ask yourself, what would cause a persecuted People, a persecuted group of early Christians to live this kind of generous life towards others. Check this out. Caesar Hadrian, second century AD, he, he sent um, this philosopher Aristides to go investigate what made these Christians so weird and why, why was this movement growing so quickly all over the empire? And here's what the philosopher Aristides wrote to him about these early Christians. They do not worship strange gods, and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem, and they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. Remember, women and children in Roman culture had virtually no rights. They treat people really, really well, even those that no one else does. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother, for they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the Spirit and in God. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, listen, they fast two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. Wow. They observe the precepts of their Messiah with much care, 
living justly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded them. Every morning and every hour they give thanks and praise to God for his loving kindnesses toward them and for their food and their drink they offer thanksgiving to him. And listen to how he closes this. He says, and verily this is a new people and there is something divine in the midst of them. Isn't that powerful? People, this is our heritage. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, can you imagine what the body of Christ around the world could accomplish for the spread of the good news of Jesus, both in our community and in the world, if we all live this way? If this was something that marked our hearts? If you want to take something home today, I think it's just to remember this, and as we hold the lens of Scripture up to our lives, to remember that a generous heart is a marker of a life that's been transformed by Jesus. That as you're transformed by Jesus and as the Holy Spirit moves in your life, it should be moving you more and more towards living a generous life when it comes to your treasure, your time, your talents. Generosity should be something that flows from us, right? And it flows from an understanding that we've been forgiven so much. And we've been given a future, an eternal future that is beyond anything you can even imagine. It's amazing. It's a free gift from him, right? And so as we stand, I want to invite you to stand. And as we hold the mirror of Scripture up to our hearts here today, let me just ask you, how's your heart? How's your heart? And if it's not where you believe God is calling you to be, Would you ask him for the grace to begin living generously, the grace that he would plant this on your heart, that he would move on your heart? And let me just say, for those, maybe you're joining us online today or maybe you're in the room and you've never taken the first step of committing your life to Jesus, receiving the free gift that he offers, the gift of grace and salvation. He has a generous offer for you. It's a free gift but it cost him everything. And you can receive that by admitting your absolute need for him. That you need him and there's nothing you can, you can do to make it to God on your own. You need Jesus. That you believe he's the, the son of God, that he died and rose again. And then you place your full faith and trust in him for your salvation. You receive life from him. And then, out of gratitude and joy, you live your life for, for him. You turn your back on a lifestyle that wasn't what he, he calls you to, and you live your life for him. And if that's you, either in the room or online here today, I just want to invite you to pray a prayer like this right now after me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned, and I can't make it to God on my own. I, I turn from my sin. I believe you're the the son of God that you died and you rose again. Forgive me. Welcome me into your family. Give me life in you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to live my life for you. And Lord, for all my other friends here, I just pray that if fear or if crisis has begun to quench their generous heart and spirit, Lord, Pray you would begin to just soften their hearts, Lord. And that each one of us that is a follower of you would be marked by a life that's generous towards others, Lord. 
and our time and our talents and our treasure, Lord. Thank you so much for all you've done for us, for the life we have in you. We pray these things in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.